Well, we're glad you're here this morning, and uh, if you're visiting, you haven't been here before, we have been in a series for the last seven weeks on what it means to cultivate authentic spiritual community in the life of, of our church, particularly, but in a broader sense, um, what it means to be a community of faith. And uh, we've been talking for the last five weeks or so about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that help us cultivate uh, community. And last week I, I talked about the practice of service, and that was part one, and today is part two of that. And last week we, we looked at the inward nature of service, the kind of character, the kind of attitude, the kind of mindset that should lie at the heart of every true servant of the Lord. And I realized that for some, um, when we talk sort of philosophically about that, you know, it doesn't seem to get at the nitty-gritty, and that's what I want to do this morning. But we talked about the difference between true service and, as Richard Foster called it, self-righteous service. The difference being that serving in Jesus' name and for his sake versus serving out of our own strength and out of our own abilities, which, by the way, is a temptation, right, that we all face, is to kind of own this thing and and do it on our own uh, because nobody can do it better than we can. Well, we concluded that there seems to be much more to service, much more to being a servant of Christ than merely performing specific acts of service. Even those specific acts um, are very important. There's a dramatic difference between acting like a servant and being a servant. You understand? Acting like a servant is very different than being a servant. And Jesus Christ calls each of us to become his servants, part of our lifestyle. Well, it isn't enough to simply talk about the inward nature of service or to merely talk about what a servant of Christ should be, even though these are important discussions. We need to talk about how service takes form and shape in our daily lives, in the real world. We talk about how service in Christ's name, in its various forms, what it looks like in our lives, how we live it out day to day, in our families, in our church, at our jobs, at school, wherever it might be. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Some of these topics are very simple. They're not simplistic by any means, but they're simple. You may be shocked, actually, because I think we tend to think of service as sort of the big deal. You know, it's the mission trip to Russia or Mexico. It's serving in Mississippi. It's, it's, it's the big thing. Those are very important things, but it begins somewhere else. And at the outset, we need to recognize that true service in Jesus' name is really the service of small things. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once called it, the service of active helpfulness. Active helpfulness. This means that if we're going to serve others, we need to begin by helping them or assisting them with the simple, the mundane, the seemingly insignificant events or matters of life. Dorcas. Interesting name woman in the New Testament in the book of Acts. We read about her, and we need to become more like her. And this is what I mean. We need to learn to make coats and garments for widows. And perhaps not literally, but we need to begin to perform those kinds of acts for people. It doesn't sound real exciting to talk about the small things, does it? Perhaps we could begin serving others by helping them with everyday activities of life. For example, yard work. Parenting, food, clothing, transportation, legal concerns, financial management, even tax preparation, right? 
Simple things. Do you realize how many people get absolutely bogged down in their lives because of some of these kinds of issues? We need to begin to serve, to look for ways to help people. And here's a fact. None of us, not one of us, are too good for the most common or menial kinds of service. None of us. Too many followers of Christ, too many of us, perhaps, consider such acts of service as trivial or perhaps petty and therefore a colossal waste of our time. That person should be able to do that themselves. They can go hire an accountant. They can go talk to a financial planner. But remember what I said last week. Service is not about us. It's about serving Christ, and it's about serving other people. The small things, they're so important. And in the spiritual realm, the real issues of life are often found in the small and seemingly insignificant events of life. In the places that we least expect them. In a brief word of encouragement. In a random act of kindness. In a nod of appreciation. We serve people like that. The truth is, acts of great virtue, of true virtue, are rare. They really are. But the ministry of small things, the ministry of active helpfulness, is a daily occurrence among those who serve in Jesus' name. Some of you sit among us this morning, and uh, I personally appreciate the way that you serve me. People will never know who you are, and I'm sure that you serve other people in the same way. It is a huge encouragement in the midst of the craziness of life, in the busyness of ministry at times, to receive a note, a phone call, anything that says, you know what, we appreciate you. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have some colleagues that are really skilled at writing notes of appreciation. And it's something that I want to learn to do better because I know what it feels like to receive those kinds of things from people. The act of helping people is a daily occurrence among those who serve in Jesus' name. Small acts of kindness. There's another act of service that I want us to look at this morning. It's called the service of guarding the reputation of other people. It's in there. The service of guarding the reputation of other people. Or as an early church father put it, the service of charity. Charity. This service is absolutely necessary if we're to be people and we're to be a church that's free of backbiting and gossip. Those things are killers of community. They're destroyers of character. There's no place in the community for backbiting and slander and gossip and criticism. The Apostle Paul tells us not to speak evil of anyone. We may clothe our criticism and our complaining in religious language. We are really good in the evangelical church of cloaking that kind of criticism, even in prayer. Some of the most slanderous things ever said in the church are said in prayer. But the fact remains, it's poison, it's inappropriate, and nothing good ever comes from talking about people behind their backs. You've been on the receiving end of that kind of thing, haven't you? I have. We all have. Nothing constructive or positive ever results from that. Most of us would do well to learn the discipline of holding our tongue. That's a tough one for me. It's so tempting to jump in. Oh yeah, you know, you kind of hear this. Yeah, well, I've had a, an interaction with him or her, and you know, yeah, I know what you're saying. They're really weird. It's difficult holding our tongue, but it works wonders in a community. It builds authentic community. 
Further, we should never allow ourselves to participate even passively, right? Even passively in slanderous talk about others or about our church. In fact, there are churches that as part of their membership agreement, they have people sign a statement that says, I will engage in no slanderous talk about the church, about the staff, or about anybody else in the church. And I used to read that and think, you know, that's pretty legalistic to do that. No, let people talk, right? But I realized the brilliance in that. This kind of stuff destroys community. Destroys community. Some of you, I bet, have been part of a church or a faith community where this sort of thing sort of spread out of control and destroyed people and destroyed the church. My practice has always been to gently, and sometimes maybe not so gently, but firmly direct the person to the one whom they're complaining about. I will never allow someone to talk critically about someone else in my presence, whether it's a staff member or someone in our congregation. My hope is that we will learn that as a church as well. That when you hear that kind of thing, that you don't participate in it, that you bring it to an end and say, you know what, I think there's a more appropriate way to talk about this. And perhaps you should go to the person and talk to them. But I can't talk to that person. They're mean to me. They look grumpy. They never look at me. You know what? I don't care. It's your responsibility, apart from your perception of what that person or those people are like, you have a responsibility to go to them. Their response is none of your concern. And to do it in love. That's the key, right? To do it in love. More than a thousand years ago, Bernard of Clairvaux, you all know him, right? Good stuff. He warned that a spiteful tongue strikes a deadly blow at charity and destroys the church. This is still true. Serve others here, in your family, in the workplace, wherever it is, by actively and aggressively guarding their reputation. Actively and aggressively guarding their reputation. This is a deep and lasting service that builds up not only the individual, but the church as well. Next is the service of common courtesy. Common courtesy. This is my favorite one. This act is conspicuously absent these days in our culture and in the church. As a society, we do a really poor job of both acknowledging and valuing one another. And I would suggest that we do a pretty poor job of it in the church as well. We don't do a good job of showing each other respect. Paul, in his letter to Titus, reminds us that we are to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You did that all week, right? Perfect courtesy toward all people. We wonder why those outside the church won't listen to our message of grace. When inside the church we are often so ungracious and our actions are often so discourteous to other people. Certainly not in this church, but in all those other churches, right? It's true. We need to learn this way of serving people. Here are a few simple and practical ways that we can show common courtesy to one another. And these small steps go a long, long, long way in building community. Acknowledge the presence of other people. Wave. Nod. Say hello. Acknowledge that that person exists. When you walk into a room, apart from whatever your social phobias are, acknowledge the presence of other people. That is huge. How do you feel when you walk in here and someone makes eye contact with you and acknowledges that you are a living, breathing human being? 
How many times have you gone into a community where that never happens? It also means that you may have to make eye contact with people. You can't just walk in and expect them to make eye contact with you. Acknowledge the presence of other people. One of the things that someone taught me, relationships are very important to me. And as our church has grown, I can't talk to everybody on a Sunday anymore. And that's a loss for me. Some of you I've never had a conversation with. What What I can do is I can acknowledge your presence. If I see you, I can at least wave to you. I can nod at you. I can do something. We can all do that. It's a horrible feeling to have someone just totally disregard you. Let's not do that. I almost hesitate to say this, but say please. Say thank you. Once in a while. You're saying, well, the pastor's just projecting his rearing of high school students onto the congregation. It's common courtesy. Write some notes of appreciation or email them to people from time to time. Return phone calls and emails at some point. I received your email. I don't like you. Thank you for writing to me. You know. Anything. When you're asked to RSVP for the stinking pastor's dessert. No. No. Somebody said, nobody in the Pacific Northwest RSVPs. And you're all going, amen, brother. Preach it. That's... In fact, so-and-so doesn't even ask for RSVPs anymore because people just won't do it. Okay? Common courtesy says that when you're invited to something, I'm not talking about this dessert tonight. (laughs) I'm not, really. I mean, how many of you have gotten married in the last five years, and I've been a big part of that, and you just, you know, go off about, we invited 300 people to the reception, we only heard from 100 people, and what's the deal? And, you know, I just say, sin. (laughs) It's common courtesy. And, you know, we we joke about it, but the reality is those things are huge. Those things are huge. And why? Because they all accomplish the same purpose. They acknowledge others and they affirm the worth of other people. Don't they? You know, when you fire off an email to somebody and you never hear back from them, that doesn't affirm the worth of you as a person. When when people don't respond to us, we we can at least do some of these simple things. And, um, you know, I told the teachers this morning, if we would actually begin to live this out as a faith community, it would be so much more compelling than any program that we could ever dream up. You know, program schmogram, right? Begin to live this stuff out. Let Christ change you. And we're all in a process, you know. You don't just wake up Monday morning and all of a sudden you're a kind, loving, gentle, courteous, responsible person. It might happen for some of you, but for most of us it doesn't work that way. We have to enter into that, into that process. And I would love it if we could begin to model that here in this community. And then there's a service of hospitality, which is probably the most recognizable act of service. When you think of service, you often think of hospitality. Peter urges us to practice hospitality ungrudgingly with one another. Are any of you grudging, grudgingly hospitable? You know, okay, well, let's invite them over. We haven't seen them in three weeks. <laughs> I guess we should do that because we've gone to church with them for two years. That's not the attitude. Paul even makes it one of the requirements for the office of being a bishop. Hospitality. Interesting. I thought bishops were just administrative gurus who have no personality and wear funny clothing and all that kind of thing. They're to be hospitable. There's a real 
and I think almost a desperate need for believers to begin to open their homes to one another. It's a lost art. And any of you that have lived in another culture or have spent time in another culture know that hospitality is a, is a huge value. Instead of our homes being a gathering place for friends and our church community, instead of our homes being a place to cultivate community and to build relationships, they have become hideouts. I couldn't think of a better word. Hideouts. They keep getting bigger. So we not only hide out from other people, we hide out from our own family. They become places to retreat and get away from other people, even those closest to us. And it's not a good trend, but I'm so busy. I have so many other friends and commitments, I don't have time for one more. One couple in our church has chosen to make hospitality a priority in their life. In any given month, they may invite as many as 25 people into their home. 25 people. Coffee, tea, conversation, whatever it might be. Maybe we can't do this much. In fact, most of us can't, but we can do something. We can begin somewhere. My first experience in a church, in a covenant church when I was a young lad, was being invited out to lunch by this elderly couple. And it wasn't one of those weird encounters, you know, like where they just pounced on you and like fresh meat. And if we, if we get this person, you know, to lunch, maybe we can get them involved in youth ministry or whatever. It was, it was a, a sincere invitation to get to know me. And I have never forgotten that. And that couple, for 30 years, practiced that service of hospitality to people. And you could talk to people year after year after year, and they would say, say, went to Bellingham Covenant Church, and did you know Roy and Gladys Johnson? I mean, what a great name, right? Roy and Gladys. They sound hospitable. Oh, yeah, they took me out to lunch the first time I ever went there. And, you know, we've kind of lost that because we, we think it's weird or something. We need to practice hospitality. Many of us simply don't make time to do it. And if we do, we tend to make hospitality too complicated. You are a bunch of perfectionists, most of you. It's got to be just right. I've got to have just the right food, the right atmosphere, the right music. The house has to be clean. All those kinds of things. It's not about that. It's about connecting people. Being together. Listening to one another's stories. How great is that? And sharing life together. It's not about the food or the coffee or the cleanliness of the house. It's not about any of those things. It's about connection. It's ultimately not about opening up our homes. It's about opening up our hearts and our lives to one another. That's what it's about. And we need to begin somewhere. And finally, there's the service of bearing one another's burdens. Caring for one another. Caring one another's difficulties. In Galatians 6.2, Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens, to carry one another's burdens, and so, he says, fulfill the law of Christ. That is the law of love. Or as James puts it in his letter, the royal law. And this, love of, this law of love is most perfectly fulfilled when we bear each other's hurts and difficulties. When we walk with one another, when we weep with one another, especially with those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And some of us, honestly, may feel like that's where we are this morning. The service of bearing one another's burdens is something that we need to learn. And quite frankly, I think it scares the daylights out of most of us. It doesn't just happen. We can learn to become burden bearers. Part of my training was to do 
a unit at Emmanuel Hospital as a chaplain. I have enormous respect for people that do that job. I could never, she didn't ever say that, I could never do that. The, the compassion and the understanding and the ability to just care for people, presence, you know, of caring, just being in the room with somebody and allowing Christ to care for people through you. I've never seen anything like it. And I realize how much I needed to learn that. I think we're fearful because we feel like this. If I really walk with that person and care for them, they are going to suck the life out of me. I don't have enough time or resources to really care for that person. And besides, they're really strange. you know. And perhaps they could benefit from counseling. Well, true enough. I mean, some of us can and should benefit from counseling. But I'm convinced, too, that the church hasn't done its job of really caring for people. What an incredible thing to sit down with somebody and just listen to them and not feel like you have to give them all the answers, but to be present for them in Jesus' name. And we need to learn to place others and their difficulties in the arms of Christ. We can't take it all on. We need to, to, to hand them off to Christ to allow Him to heal them and to lighten their burden. It takes practice. But begin somewhere. Begin with someone. Begin humbly. You don't have to have all the answers. Allow Jesus to be your teacher. The risen Christ Himself calls each of us to service in His name. Every one of us. And as Richard Foster says, He calls each of us to the ministry of the towel. I love that. A life of service is hard work because more than any other service, it insists that we die to ourselves and that we truly live for Christ and other people. You can't serve other people and live for yourself. You can't do it. A life of service apart from Jesus Christ is impossible. I don't care how talented you are, how smart you are, how resourceful you are, you can't do it on your own. You can't. None of us can in your own strength. But in Him, we read, nothing is impossible. And nothing means nothing. Or all things are possible through Him. We can, in fact, as Paul writes in Philippians, do all things through Christ who gives us strength. All things. Service that flows out of us because of our love and devotion to Christ brings joy, brings peace, and brings life, both to us and to those that we serve. So go this week in joy and love and serve the Lord in every area of your life.